Susan, I got to tell you, the hymns that you're picking are like right here in this message. It's almost like you were there as I wrote it. So good job. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we are in the, uh, the book of Acts and uh, we are continuing this journey and hopefully y'all are enjoying it. Um, my father-in-law is here and, and he used to be a pastor and he's like, you're still in Acts? I'm like, yes, we are. We are still in Acts. So hopefully uh, everyone's enjoying that and just picking apart just what the early church did. And, and hopefully you see our church in, in the stories. You see the, the struggles, you see the joys, you see it all. Uh, because nothing's new under the sun, and we as humans are sometimes hard-headed, and, and the Lord needs to nudge us and, and get us moving, and, and that's what he did here, and started just the, the most important movement in all of, all of the world. Uh, and so I'm happy that we continue on here today. Today's a tough teaching, though. We got a tough teaching. It was a teaching that, as I read through it, I was like, I don't want to teach on it. I don't want to preach on this God. Give me something else. Uh, because the, the teaching is one that I, <laughs> I fight and struggle with in my, in my daily life. And, of course, the Lord said to me, now remember, all teaching is good. All, all Scripture is good for teaching and correction. I'm like, yeah, 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 God, sure. Give me something else. And then he didn't, and so I said, okay, fine. <laughs> Today's topic firmly centers on patience, perseverance, and obedience. Fun things. I always say that patience is the prayer request that God answers indefinitely. He will answer that for you. If you want a yes from God, pray for patience. And he'll say, absolutely, I'll give that to you. And if you are a take, let's take the hill kind of person, if you are a yellow light, I'm going to go through that yellow light, yellow. I see a yellow light. That's the greenest yellow light I have ever seen in my entire life. This may frustrate you a little bit. This may rattle your cage here today. So where are we at in Acts? Well, so we left last week with a little bit of a squabble, a little bit of an argument that was happening between Paul and uh, Barnabas. And they have this disagreement about travel companions. And it was in the shadow of such a great monumental time in the church where everyone had to deliberate over a false teaching and they came together in one accord. They came to an answer. It was a great harmonious time in the church. And then immediately after, you have two guys fighting about who gets to, as I said last week, ride shotgun on this next part of this uh, mission trip. But the squabble was not going to hinder God, was it? Because God uses it. Because they split up into two different missionary journeys and the gospel gets to go out further. Our little petty human differences is not going to be any match for the Lord and the expansion of the gospel to the ends of the world. So we pick up here in Acts chapter 16, and I'm not going to go through, I'm not going to read through the first five verses, I'm just going to explain them here for you, to you a little bit, but we get introduced to a new travel companion, a very prominent person in, in Scripture, it's Timothy. And of course, we know First and Second Timothy, a famous letter that Paul wrote to, to him. Uh, Timothy is a, is a young man. This is a bit of a head scratcher here, though, in Acts uh, 16, 1 through 5, because Timothy is of mixed birth, if you will. He is part Jewish on his mother's side, and he's Gentile on his father's side. And we find out that his dad was not really into the whole Jewish thing, uh, and therefore, Timothy was never circumcised. Now, that should not be a problem, right? Because we just had a whole lesson last week about how the Jerusalem Council said, hey, you're not under the law of Moses, it's fine. But it says here in Acts that Paul takes Timothy and has him circumcised and does that because of the account of the Jews. And so when I read that, I'm like, 
this is no help, Lord. I just spent the entire time telling everybody they don't have to worry about it. And now here comes Paul taking Timothy and bringing Timothy to circumcision. And so I had to really study and look at it. And, and what all commentators agree is that Paul is not reverting his stance. He's not, he's not going against Jerusalem Council here. In fact, he takes Timothy then, and they go and they continue on their journey to all the churches that they had started, that Paul and Barnabas had started, and strengthening them and delivering the apostolic decree about you're not under the law of Moses anymore. So he doesn't go against that. The reason why he does this with Timothy is because Timothy's mixed heritage here. And Paul's order of operations, and this will be important later in, in the message, but hear me now. Paul's order of operations in his missional journey is always to go to the synagogue first. He goes to the synagogue first, and he talks to the Jewish folks there, typically either gets kicked out or starts a ruckus, whatever. And then he goes on to, to, to the rest. And you know, if you ever read any of Paul's letters, he talks about that system of to the Jew first, to the Gentile second. And that's kind of basically the order of Scripture. God brought the Jewish folks together, established his covenant with them, and then expands it to the Gentiles. And so Paul kind of follows in on that step. And he, for Timothy, because he was also Jewish, there was a concern that if Timothy was not culturally Jewish as his birthright, it was going to hinder his message and his witness to that group of people. And so in order to continue to advance the message, he chose us to do that. Be it right or wrong, that's, that's, where, that's where we're at there. Because I kept looking at it, and I'm like, this, is, this, is, this seems opposite of what we just looked at. But I really think it was for, for Paul and Timothy for the advancement of the gospel and to not have those hindrances, those blocks in the way because he wants to continue to keep on for Christ and do all those things. So now he's traveling, Timothy and Paul, they're all traveling with Silas and they are strengthening the churches as they go. And we come to today's passage and Paul is now ready to expand his journey. He's ready to go into the land of, of Asia, go a little bit further east. And he's got his all plans and he's all ready to go. But that is not what God has in store. So today, and this is the time that I usually lay down the main point that you all write down and remember for the rest of the week. But I thought, in the vein of patience and obedience, I'm going to hold that main point to the end. You're all just going to have to live in suspense, okay? So let's dive in. Let's look at where we're at. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to that. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the back of the pews, page 1099. You can flip to it and follow along. Where's our good friend Paul and what's happening here today? Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15 says this. So, and they, Paul, Timothy, Silas, they went through the region of um, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, look at that, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, same, same, did not allow them. Another closed door. So now passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas. And a vision now appears to Paul at night. He has a dream. And a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And when Paul had seen the, the vision, he immediately, immediately, he's obeying. Now look here, Luke changes the tense. We sought to go into Macedonia. So this is the point now where Luke joins into the journey. He switches the tense up here and we, we see that now. Luke's, Luke's coming along. And we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, coming to the realization that God had called us to preach the gospel now to Macedonia. So geography-wise, instead of going east into Asia, God is saying, no, you're going to go west, young man. You're going to go even further now into the European region, which was totally against what Paul logically thought he was going to do. So now they get there. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city, a leading city, excuse me, of the district of Macedonia, that's also a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we go outside the gate to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer, which is not a synagogue, everybody, a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, which means she's very wealthy if you don't, uh, that, that's old history there. Purple is very, very uh, expensive. So she has, she's got some money. But she's also a worshiper of God. So if you remember, that classification was also used of uh, the centurion that Peter goes to. A worshiper of God is someone who is not all bought into the Jewish stuff, but is following the Jewish God. They're not necessarily following the law of Moses, but they know who Yahweh is, and they're worshiping and praying and maybe making sacrifices, things like that to them, to him. The Lord opened her heart, it says, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, so that was a real quick sermon there, just that, I don't know, maybe we can have a quick sermon and y'all, people who didn't get baptized, get baptized. But she's baptized, and her entire household as well, and she urged us by saying, now if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. I'll take care of you. And she prevailed upon us, which means she was very persuasive about that. She didn't want to take no for an answer. I have heard this great news. I, have now, I know who Jesus is. Please stay. Stay at my house and I will take care of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first part of this message, since you don't know what the main point is, the first part of this message is Paul's plans get frustrated. You ever have your plans get frustrated by God? It's not a great place to be. So far this leg, the missional journey has been blessed. They've been going to all these communities that they started and, and, and strengthening them. And it's great. Everything is fantastic. And then Paul's like, you know what? We're going to go to Asia. This is even better. Let's go to this land over here and bring the gospel. It's going to be fantastic. He's got a protege in Timothy. Everyone wants a protege. Everything's going fantastic and great, right? But then it says twice, don't miss it as I stop there for you, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, stops them, forbids them to go, forbids them to speak into this region. And then comes that dream, you're going to go to Macedonia. What Paul is experiencing is a frustration of his plans, or better yet, he's experiencing a divine delay. Everyone say that. Divine a divine delay, exactly. You know, Asia is going to get the gospel at some point. We know that. 
The Apostle Thomas is the one who's credited with bringing the gospel to the Far East lands. And so yay for Thomas. But for Paul, God had a different direction for him to go. He's experiencing a divine delay. What is a divine delay? Well, a divine delay is quite simply when God hits the pause button, which is right next to the smiting button. So you want to make sure he, he hits the pause button to your plans. He says, whoa, let's, mm, and hits that there. He doesn't pause his plans. Notice that difference. He pauses our plans, our ways, and our decisions. That says, mm, let's, let's get it. And sometimes that can be jarring. Unfortunately, folks, there are people in this room who are going through a divine delay in a quite jarring way. Death of a loved one is kind of a pause in the journey. A loss of a job. It's another little jarring pause in the journey. A severe illness, one that you didn't expect. How often a phone call changes the course of a life, right? That's a divine, a divine delay that, that kind of pauses, pauses your ways, pauses your journey. Sometimes it can be a little bit more subtle, and it's just simply a door closes. Something closes, an opportunity shuts down, and you have to kind of figure out, okay, what's next? Where are we going to go next? But in all those situations, it's always a time, divine delays are always a time of self-reflection, a time to kind of sit with the, with the Lord, wait on the Lord, be with Him, uh, obey, trust and obey as we've learned, as we just sang, to wait upon the Lord so our strength gets built up like wings of eagles, to listen and to learn from God. I would say, but also most importantly, divine delays are a time for us to expect God to be God. To expect God to be faithful. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we are saying to him, God, be you. Be you in this situation. And so divine delays allow us the opportunity to kind of pause the rhythm of our life and just, and just sit with that. And to trust in the Lord and to expect him to move. And when he does move, the path will open and we go. But it can be extremely frustrating. If you're like me, I'm like, no, God, I have the plan. I have the way. Please get out of the way. Oops, right? How many of you have done that before? You've told God, hey, I've got it. I saw a meme yesterday that said, some of us don't need Jesus to take the wheel. Some of us need him to pull over and beat us with his flip-flop. So, you know, you know, you're just going to have to be, not that I condone that. I don't beat my children with flip-flops, but it can be frustrating because it reminds us of our core sin that we always want to be the lords of our lives. And so when God hits the pause button, we don't get a chance to hit the controls. We just have to wait. We have to wait and obey. Where this has been per most profound in my life, and I've shared this story a few times with you all just to remind you, is in my marriage to Carrie and I, to, to, to my marriage to Carrie. And uh, I met Carrie when I was 23, 25 years old. She was 23. And we were the youngest kids in choir. They all tried to get us together. They worked together against us to get us to, to be uh, dating, and it worked. And we decided to date, and we had a great time. Three months into that dating at 25 and 23, She's just newly graduated from college. I'm thinking now is the logical time to profess my undying love to her. To say, I love you. And it was on the heels of a, of a Christian concert where she couldn't even, when we were being, in, she introduced me to a friend of theirs, she couldn't even say that I was her boyfriend. And so we at the at that end of that night, I said, I love you. I don't know why you don't know me as your boyfriend. 
And she was like, whoa, cowboy. <laughs> God didn't need to hit the pause button. She hit it. She was like, no, 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 no. We're going to pause this right now. Because I'm thinking, I'm 25. I'm getting married. I'm having kids. Bada bing, bada boom. We're good to go. No, no. We hit pause on that. And then again, we decided to date a little bit later. But the Lord called her into ministry to all places, Asia. So thanks a lot, Thomas. So now she goes to Asia to, to be a ministry and mission there for several years, three years. And we ended up breaking it off then as well. So another pause. And at that point, I thought, okay, this, we've tried it. Tried it twice. It's not, obviously, it's not in the cards. And so I uh, was introduced to somebody else and started dating them uh, at that time. And what came very apparent to me, and this girl was very nice. I don't want to speak bad about her, but she wasn't Carrie. And I talked to a great Christian friend, and I said, I, 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 I feel that I'm supposed to be with Carrie. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I know it's not with this, with this girl. And he says, well, you've got to break it off. You can't. That's unfair to her. And so I did, and and then that night, I tried to look for it in a journal, and I couldn't find it because I remember writing this down. At that night, I had a time of prayer with God, and I said, God, I don't know how this is going to happen because she's, she's still in China. She was finishing out her last year there. I, I don't know how this is going to happen. I hope this is going to happen. I feel in my soul that this is going to happen, but I'm gonna have to, I have to trust you. You're going to have to make this work. You're going to have to make a way. And it was such a weird feeling in that pause, in that divine delay. I was so sure that it was going to happen, at the same time was also completely unaware if it was going it to, the, as I was reflecting about it and writing this down, I was like, it was the weirdest feeling of both being 100% sure and not sure at all of when it was going to happen, because I don't know the timing and I don't know how it was going to work. But it was a great time of a pause because things had to happen in that pause. There had to be growth in that pause for both Carrie and myself. So here we are now with Paul in this delay. He wants to go to Asia. It's, this is, he's thinking this is the great ministry journey. And he gets an intentional nudge from God. He gets a vision, just like Peter did. If you remember, Peter got a nudge as well. He got a dream. And it was go to a house, go to a person, to a place, and, and, and bring the gospel there, and it resulted in the Gentile Pentecost. Well, here's Paul, same thing. He's, he's got a vision. He's, get, he's getting a nudge from, an intentional nudge from God to go to a place, and eventually he discovers that it's not only a place, but it's also a person, a household. And then we have what happens here, not so much the Gentile Pentecost, but this conversion of Lydia is the first convert in the European region. The European region, my friends. When we think of Europe and Asia in terms of epicenters of Christianity, we always probably think Europe, Rome, and, and, and Constantinople, the whole things. And it starts, don't miss it, it starts with a purple sales lady and a female who starts this movement now into Europe. Very, very significant. But at the beginning... Poor Paul's plans were frustrated. Divine delays is when God hits a pause button to your plans, and it's frustrating, but it is a time where we can take some moments and listen and obey and find out where God is calling us and what he's up to. 
second part of the sermon is now he goes, Paul goes into Europe, right? You still don't have the main point of the sermon yet. So still be in, in suspense there. Brian, you in suspense? Okay, good. You're still in suspense. So the dream says go to Philippi. It's a major city in Macedonia, a major city for the Roman Empire. And while a new day, a new way has opened up for Paul to follow, it seems that his old ways of wanting to go to the synagogue are still in play. Remember I told you, that was Paul's order of operations. Go to the synagogue first, Gentiles uh, a second. But when he gets there, what does it say? He doesn't go to the synagogue. He goes to a, what did it say, remember? A place of prayer, okay? So what this means is that if there is no synagogue in an area, typically we can assume that there was not enough Jewish males present for a synagogue to be formed and to be made. Usually they need at least 12, history tells us. And so here comes Paul. He's got this vision. Okay, all right, it's not Asia, it's Philippi. I'm ready to go. Let's go. This sounds great. Where are we going, God? I'm going to go to the synagogue. And he gets to Philippi and another divine delay. No synagogue. Can you imagine Paul's reaction <laughs> as he gets to Philippi? Like, we're here. No synagogue. Okay. Um, and like looking around to be thinking, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? What's happening? And discovers a place of prayer Again, not with men, which would be more custom for Paul to probably speak to men first, but it's a group of women, Gentile women of all things. And because Paul is so in step with the Spirit in this divine delay, he obeys God to like, okay, this is the place where I need to be, and we need to preach the gospel to these women. It reminds me of a time when I was a youth leader in Florida, and we went on a mission trip to Tennessee, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, beautiful area. And we were supposed to go, it was with a mission organization, and the mission organization had set us up to uh, be worker bees uh, uh, to an old rundown church. Now, as a youth leader, when you are told that you're going to go on a mission trip and you're going to renovate an old rundown church... I mean, that's like a Christmas present right there. I mean, think of the devotions that I can have with the kids. Think of all the things that we can do, the ambiance, how cool it's going to be into the old church and, and hammering nails and everyone's feeling, I mean, I'm excited. This is great. We get to Tennessee. We get set up at the, we're staying at a, at a dormitory and we get, I get called into a meeting with one of the mission people and they said, I'm sorry. The old church project fell through. We couldn't get certain codes, couldn't get certain clearances to do that. That's not going to happen. I'm like, okay, so what is going to happen? They're like, you're going to go to the Knoxville Center of the Deaf and Blind. Okay, that's even great. That'd be fun. I mean, places that we can help there. And they said, you know, there's some service projects there. They need some painting and, and some things done. So, fine. 30 kids I have with me. And we go to the Knoxville Center of the Deaf and Blind. It is this very simple cinder block square building with a little half wall on this side of the parking lot that has a railing that needs to be sanded down and painted. But I mean, it's only the length of maybe the first row of pews here. And then to the right of me is the cinder block building, but it has a really big wall that's probably about two or three stories high, and they have to build scaffolding, and they got to paint that wall. So this kid, I say kid because he's 19 years old and he's leading us, 
Uh, he's fresh in college, and he's leading us on this major construction project. And I say, okay, great. I've got 30 kids here. Where do you want us to start? He said, well, that side over there needs painted. I'm like, good. I can get five kids, five kids over here. One, two, three, four, five. Come on, come over here. You're going to sand this down. And I look at him like, where's the sanding paper and the paintbrushes? Well, he goes, I've got one paintbrush and there's some sandpaper here. And then here's like, like a, it was like a dish brush. You can, they could do that and try to scrape it down. And I'm like, Okay, good. So I said, five kids, here you go. You guys, you guys do that. You'll be great. It's going to be fine. They're, they're all looking at me, holding their, their simple ingredients of like, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, just okay, just sand it down. Yay, Jesus. And so then we go to the scaffolding, and he's like, okay, so the scaffolding needs to be built. That's how he's talking to me. Needs to be built, and they need to paint the sides of the wall. I'm like, fantastic. Do you have instructions on how to build the scaffolding? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Two leaders, you guys come over here, 10 people, you guys build this thing and, and you're going to paint. I said, you got paintbrushes for this? No. I'm like, okay, good. So then he brings me to the back of the Knoxville Center of the Deaf and Blind and there's a pile of two by fours there. No lie, pile of two by fours right there at the back of the parking lot. And he goes, okay, they also need there to be a, uh, a shed built. I said, uh-huh. I said, is there instructions for the, for the shed to be built? No. I'm like, this is going to be okay. This is going to be good. And so uh, I said, do you have hammers, nails, anything like that? No. So I'm dying. 30 kids are looking at me like, we spent $400 to come on this trip and to help people. By golly, we're going to help people. And I'm looking at this project that is not, there's no way. I feel like Paul in this moment of coming to Philippi, there's no synagogue, and you're thinking, what am I supposed to do? But you remember, in divine delays, when God hits the pause button, it's our time to listen and obey. It's our time to expect God to be God. And what we discovered is that two of my leaders were very, very handy, knew exactly what to do, went to Home Depot, got all the supplies that we needed. We had the money for it. We had extra money in the mission account. We got them all. They got the instructions, and they start building this shed. And it's this beautiful shed that they ended up with. We got to write um, Bible verses on the inside before they boarded it all up. Beautiful. And remember, we're at the Knoxville Center of the Deaf and Blind. Half of my student group, 15 of them, were fluent in American Sign Language. And so they then, not only are they able to be manual laborers outside, they are also able to connect with the community in a way that I couldn't. And when that began to happen and I saw them come alive to that and people come alive to their, their hope in Christ and all the things, I went, oh, I get it. I think Paul goes, oh, I get it here. Because he goes and sees there's no synagogue, but he looks, just as he was intentionally nudged by the Spirit to go to Philippi, I think he's intentionally seeking where God is moving and where, what he's doing. And he realizes there's a prayer group and he goes and he begins to, to do what he's called to do, share the gospel. And in sharing the gospel, Lydia 
becomes uh, 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 the first convert in Europe and her household. Lydia is from a town of Thyatira, which means that there, we don't really have a record of, of missional journeys there, which means that she eventually probably goes back. Thyatira is mentioned in the book of Revelation. So it's one of the seven churches. Now, I had hoped, because this would have been really good for the message, that it would be one of the churches that was doing great. It wasn't. It's not. It's not. Don't read it. It's very bad. <laughs> it was not. But at the same way, she brings the gospel to another region, and, and the gospel continues to move. And very significant that she's a female, that it's a female that, that brings the European gospel that starts that whole thing off. It's crazy. When divine delays happen, they often reveal a path and a way that doesn't make human or logical sense. And they often present next to impossible circumstances for us to overcome. And the truth is they are impossible by us doing it on our own. And this is a reoccurring teaching that we've had in Acts. On your own, you can't do anything. But with God, immeasurably more. Things that you wouldn't even imagine could happen by listening and being in step with the Spirit. And that's why divine delays happen. Sometimes we need the pause because we're just going to blast through a door that isn't meant for us to blast through. And so it's a means of protection as well. Yes, that seems like logical sense. I have a better way, is what God is telling us. I have a better way. I've got a different plan and purpose for you. My whole life is right now that I'm living with my three beautiful children and my wife and being here at this church is all part of divine delays. Where God said, not this, but this. When I first came to Bethel, I was applying for a, a position in Jacksonville, Florida. And God said, not this one, this one. And I had to loosen that. I had to get rid of that in order to put my full attention in here to Bethel. When Carrie and I were married, we had a miscarriage before we had Clara. And as much as that hurts, and as much as that I hope one day we get to meet that baby, that's a divine delay. And look at the three kids that I have. Divine delays are meant to, for God to say, hold on, there is a better way. You may not understand it, but there is a better way. And so let's end this thing and give you the main point. But before I do that, I want us to bake a cake. You're thinking, what? When you bake a cake, how many bakers are in here? How about any cooks, any cooks in here who follow a recipe? Do you follow the recipe one at a time like this? Or do you read the entire recipe first and then start cooking? Which one do you do? You need to be doing the second one because there's oftentimes the recipe where it's like, and then do this, and you're like, oh, crap, I'm, I, I'm, oh, that's, a, that's a Greek word, crap, hold it. You say, oh. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of sync. I'm out of step. And you end up with a product that isn't quite right. So let's bake a cake. But in this idea of baking a cake, this is how God works. You see, the Lord, he gets to see all the ingredients at once and knows the final destination is this beautiful, awesome, tasty cake for you to eat, right? For you to have and be blessed with. He sees it all. C.S. Lewis says it like this in Mere Christianity. Let's see the quote. If you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you have to picture God as the whole page on which the time is drawn. 
When we come to parts of the line one by one, we as humans have to leave point A and leave it behind before we get to point B. And we can't reach C until we leave B, B behind. But God from above and outside of it all, all around, contains the entire line and he sees it all. You see, when we're baking a cake in this regard, this metaphor, we're not the chefs. We're the sous chefs. And we have to be reliant on Christ to reveal the next step, the next instruction. And we just got to be faithful to follow and obey, to trust and obey. Knowing, because they've revealed it to us, there is a chocolate cake at the end of this thing. I said chocolate because chocolate's fun. There is a chocolate cake at the end of this journey. But you're going to have to wait and have it being revealed to you to trust and obey and to follow my ways. Let's bake a cake, everyone. Paul in Philippians 3 says it this way. He says, not that I have already obtained this, meaning faith and, and the, the perfect gift that comes from Christ, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press onward to the goal, to the chocolate cake, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal. He will reveal that also to you. But for now, only now, let us hold true to what we have obtained. And that's the biggest lesson here. Divine delays are frustrating. They are a time of great sanctification and edification, of building up, of trusting in the Lord. But what a divine delay teaches us is the main point of this sermon, that when we are on pause by God, we are to trust in what we have attained and look forward to what he is revealing. Say that with me. To trust in what we have attained and look forward to what he is revealing. I don't know if you're in a divine delay today. I don't know. You might be. And I hope and pray for you, and we all in this room pray for you, for the encouragement that you will receive in that delay. Sometimes our lives are in full delay until we finally get to go and be with Jesus. Sometimes that just happens. And we use that, or we're called to use that as a testimony for others. But as you sit and as you wait, may you be strengthened, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, strengthened by this community of believers to know and to trust that Jesus has a better way there is chocolate cake at the end of this tunnel. Press on and trust in the Lord. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for a simple teaching that rattles the cage, that rattles the cage of it's my plans, it's what I want to do, and God, get out of the way. Thank you for not giving up on us, for when we're being obstinate children, looking at you and saying, I can do it. God, nudge us as you did Paul. Speak to us in subtle ways and in jarring ways so that in all things we lean and trust in you, knowing what we have attained and looking forward to what you reveal. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
May we want to live in such a way that the world would know the blessing of doing God's will. But in order for us to be able to do that, sometimes God has to hit the pause button and realign us, get us back on the path and the, and the, and the, the way that he has laid before us so that we know to trust in him, expect him to be God, to be faithful. May you leave here knowing that truth, staking your whole lives on it, that God is faithful and that he has called you to be servants, prophets, to be messengers of his good news. Share that with somebody, the good news of Jesus, so that their lives may be changed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.